Hello and welcome to the Andrew Ferris Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the show. Today on the show, I want to talk about Facebook ad creative testing. And a couple weeks ago, I talked about this topic in relation to what I consider kind of a hidden element of creative testing, which is the way that new product releases generate creative tests. But today I wanna talk about it in the more typical way people refer to that phrase, which is sort of generating new creative for products you already have and taking new shots at selling that product at profit for your business with new creative, the classic kind of way people are talking about creative. And I wanna think about that in some ways that maybe are familiar to you around some core principles for creative testing, but also some ways in which creative testing maybe is costing you money, a sort of a hidden surprising way that cash is leaking out of your business if you are testing when maybe you don't need to actually, or testing some creative that you shouldn't be testing. So I wanna get into it, let's jump in, let me tell you what I mean and how I came to this. I think this will help you. So to get to what I really wanna get to today, we need to establish a couple of core principles in the world of Facebook ad creative testing. The first of those principles, very specifically, is that you must test creative and you must have a good plan for testing creative in your Facebook ad account if you want Facebook ads to work for you. I have been thinking a lot about Facebook ads recently and how to maximize performance on Facebook ads. And in some ways it feels like a cliche topic in D2C and in performance marketing land that almost like, as I discussed before, like, you know, people really want to diversify ad spend. I did a whole episode called Don't Diversify Your Ad Spend, telling people to focus more on Facebook. And I've been kind of listening to that challenge myself, like to really dig in and say Facebook ads is a unique opportunity. It is an unparalleled opportunity to grow business profitably. So how can I provide value in this area of business that is perhaps the most valuable area of business for D2C brands. Essentially, if it's the biggest lever to grow your business profitably, why don't I try to add value to brands by making a point of making that lever work as well as possible? So I've just been thinking about that as I've been looking at a lot of brands. I've done some audits, I've done some consulting, I've done a lot of different stuff and seen a lot of different brands recently on top of the brands that I've been running myself. And just been thinking about sort of what I'm noticing that is sort of obvious, but maybe not obvious at the same time. What just kind of happens in Facebook ad accounts without you seeing it? And a lot of that has been around this area of creative. I think any good media buying folks right now who are worth their salt recognize that once, besides some good thinking about using cost controls on Facebook ads, besides that, I think right now, you know, most people recognize that media buying is kind of a commodity and that the real key is on the creative side of things. So you've got to get creative right to win on Facebook. And that starts with some basic ideas around creative, like thinking about something that I addressed in a previous episode. You know, I referenced earlier an episode I did a few weeks ago called Don't Diversify Your Ad Spend. You can go check that out if you want to understand why I've been on this kick a little bit. But before that, I did an episode called Want Ads to Perform, Be More Specific. If you want to go check that out, it was right before my Black Friday series. And that episode was getting at this idea that you need to speak specifically to specific customers for your ads to work and for your creative to work in most cases, right? One of the examples I cited there was that in Bamboo Earth, I've seen an ad recently that has performed very well for Dave Recook and his team over at Bamboo Earth that starts off on the ingredient retinol in skincare and 
an alternative to retinol. And that is such a specific angle about skincare. It's not just saying this will make your skin glow or whatever. It's saying, are you looking for a skincare product that is clean, that does not have retinol in it? And if you are, here's why this product is good for you. And then it goes from there and outlines features and benefits, etc. That's a very specific customer being spoken to with a very specific angle, right? It's the kind of customer who's looking for that particular thing. The angle highlights that thing and goes from there. So that's the core, right? You've got to be speaking specifically to specific customers. And that's really important. Now, beyond that, most people recognize that creative testing is generally important, that creative is this important lever. And so if the creative is an important lever, then you need to be testing it aggressively, making sure that you're finding what works. And that's totally true. You do need to be doing that in order to find what works. This is part of why I recommend kinship so highly to people as an influencer marketing agency, because really at the core of what they do is they generate a whole bunch of very different ad creative for you at a relatively low cost by getting your product to influencers, having the influencers generate the content and running that content as ads. Those influencers are not going to be guided by you. They are going to create what they want to create about your product. And it's going to end up speaking to lots of different things in lots of different ways with lots of different approaches, because that's what they're going to do. They're all going to bring their own creativity to it. And what that's going to do is give you a broad range, though within one format, right? Influencer sort of formats, maybe stills, maybe videos. So some difference in format, I guess, but it's going to give you a broad range of creative approaches. And you can begin to sort of seed broadly and test broadly a bunch of different stuff and see what starts resonating with your audience. And that approach to influencer marketing and to creative is also rooted in the concept that many of us are very bad at predicting what will work. And what Facebook is so powerful at is you give it a lot of creative, you give it cost controls and say, don't spend if you can't hit the CPA. And what's Facebook going to do? Facebook is going to go from there and it's going to run your best creative and it's not going to run your worst creative. And especially if it's not hitting the target that you want it to hit. And that ends up being a really effective way to maximize the reach of your good creative and minimize the reach of your bad creative and therefore maximize the spend of your good creative and minimize the spend and save you on costs. When you are in a growth phase of your business, this is magic. It is magic. It is incredible. And it is so valuable for growing a profitable business. When you're trying to figure out what's working, test broadly. And so that principle is really important. Part of why I like the kinship approach so much is exactly because of this. You can test very broadly to figure out what is going to work and what is not going to work. And if you want different outputs in the performance of your creative, you need different inputs. And the wider the variability of your inputs, the wider the variability of your outputs. Okay. So if you make a small tweak to an ad, it's unlikely to change the performance significantly. If you make a completely different ad with a completely different angle targeting a completely different customer, it's more likely to make a very big difference in your business. So when I am looking, especially at an ad account that has barely ever spent on Facebook ads, you know, for a brand that is sort of new to it or that has only run one or two ads ever, or, and that's sort of been all the value, or this just sort of still in a super rapid growth phase where kind of everything is about getting bigger faster because you're not trying to sweat the details so much as you are trying to generate more growth as fast as possible. Or if an ad account is just not working, you know, if a brand is just losing money, that's the time when I'm thinking about testing as broadly as possible, testing as widely and variably as possible to see what I can do. Okay. So that's the case. 
And I recently was looking at a business that, you know, had done a few million bucks in revenue in the previous year and across a few different channels. There's a lot to love about this business. It's really good, but they basically barely spent on Facebook ads. So, I mean, it's impressive where they've gotten to via the channels they've used to get there. They just have barely spent. And so because of that, you know, my approach to that is going to be exactly what I just laid out or what I'm telling that founder is you need to test broadly and you need to think about specific angles for specific customers, who are the different customers you are speaking to, and how can you speak as directly and clearly to them as possible in different ways. So you can make sure you're hitting them variably and finding different kinds of customers who care about different ways in which your product is helpful to them. So that's all true, okay? Now, I say all of that because I want to establish that as a baseline, that I believe that it's true for many brands, that is where you should be focusing your business is on thinking about how to test broadly and how to generate a wide range of potential outcomes. And this is what everybody's really looking for here. And the payoff of that, when you have an ad that hits because that test really works, most of them won't do this, right? I don't know, if you run 10 ads and one of them, let's say you hit on 10% of them, the ability to minimize the cost of the other nine via cost controls by limiting that spend against your CPA target or your ROAS target or whatever, the ability of Facebook to scale the volume rapidly of the one that hits means that you can inject a bunch of profit into your business and a bunch of growth into your business really, really fast. And it can power the growth of your business. Again, this comes back to why Facebook is so powerful. And so when you're in that phase, that's what you're looking for. If you just think about this mathematically, you're looking for that sort of 90th percentile plus outcome ads, the ones that are going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars maybe, on your product and on your brand and in your ad account so that you can generate a ton of revenue and a ton of growth, right? So if you're thinking about this business, let's say it's done $3 million, let's just call it generally that, and you wanna get to 10, what you are looking for is the ads that will get you to 10, which means you need to have a massive amount of performance and a massive amount of spend. You're going to accomplish that with 90th percentile plus outcome ads. And the way you're going to get to those 90th percentile outcome ads is by testing widely and variably, especially if you've barely spent before, okay? That ends up powering your ad account. And the flip side of that is you're not gonna worry too much about whether or not your lowest performing ads are sort of sapping a little bit of value out of the bottom of your ad account, right? You're just not gonna worry about that as much. And that's because that's just the cost of doing business. Now, here's the thing that's really important. And this is what I wanted to get to today that I think is sort of this hidden cost in a lot of businesses. At some point, you have basically learned what those winners are. This is gonna sound kind of almost crazy, but at some point, those costs actually become a real problem in your business and they end up costing you a bunch of money. And especially depending on your business phase, the ads that are spending, even if they're spending just a little bit on the bottom of your ad account that are underperforming the rest of your ad account that are essentially test ads that don't work, those end up being a meaningful cost center in your business. And as your business grows, it can actually be lots and lots of money. So let me give you a different example besides a brand that's at a few million dollars and is barely spent. What about a brand that's at $50 million in revenue, has spent on ads for years, has spent millions of dollars on ads, and as it releases new products, is releasing basically the same, like, you know, iterations of new products in the same category. Think about, you know, yeah, skincare, personal care, those kinds of things, where a new product 
is in that same category. So what worked for the last product has a good chance to work for this one too. Now you may need a new angle for a new product, et cetera, but like it's the same general category. Apparel, right, would be another example of this where if you know what works for one, you know, maybe you release a new shirt or whatever, right? Or there's a seasonal drop of new stuff, but like you've done other seasonal drops, you know what is working, okay? You see what I'm saying, right? Where the new product has similar characteristics to the old product. It is possible in those cases to cost yourself a lot of money with unnecessary and sloppy testing. So I'm so pro ad testing, and I hope you just heard me say that. It's so important. But there is a point at which more mature organizations need to mature in their testing approach. And oftentimes what I find is that this becomes a blind spot for brands that have grown really fast because the kind of techniques that, that grow the brand over a few years, you know, let's say you go from three to 10 to 20 to, you know, 25 to 40 to 50 or whatever. That's not even that crazy fast, right? But let's say you go three to 10 to 25 to 50. Let's say that's your growth curve, right? That would be pretty fast growth, okay? If that's the case, then the kind of person who has the skill set of generating the ads needed, and let's say Facebook is a big driver of that growth, that kind of person who generates those ads is the kind of person who has probably done that because they're awesome at testing, right? And so they keep growing really, really fast. And it might be the case, by the way, that person should absolutely keep doing that because, you know, maybe now you can go from 50 to 75 and you shouldn't really sweat the details yet. But at some point, if you're trying to think instead about how to grow to that next phase, you have learned what ads have gotten you to 50. And therefore, at some point, you need to hone in on what that creative strategy is and your testing band should narrow back down. And this is really the point. The range of your testing should be very wide when you're in that growth phase and the early growth phase and trying to figure out what works phase. But as your business matures, the testing band should narrow again, at least on the products that are your core products, because you know now what works and the goal is to operationalize the production of assets that work at as much scale as you possibly need to, right, within reason. There's a couple of reasons for this, but mostly it's because there is a kind of testing that is unnecessary at that point in the business for continuing to grow at that phase. You know what works. You know what works. And it's true. If you've grown that much, you've probably produced the 90th percentile plus outcome ads. You've produced a bunch of them. And that means by testing very widely again, you're much more likely to end up in that you know, 50th percentile range, or maybe even lower than you are to stay back in that 90th percentile range if you are specifically testing actively different ads than the ones that have gotten you to where you are. Do you see what I'm saying? If you have ads that have won, then it's important to try to go figure out why they have won and keep doing that. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is the very obvious point, which is that by generating more high quality ads, you're going to generate more high returning assets and more growth. And so you're going to try and keep doing that. Okay, so that's great. That's the obvious thing. You may need to do that with different products, and different visuals so that it's fresh and new and kind of keeps grabbing new people. And you may need to create new products that generate, you know, new customers because they're in slightly different, you know, categories. I don't know, maybe you introduce whatever jeans and you never used to have jeans in your collection. And so now you can try to go after people who want to buy jeans from you, even if they didn't want to buy whatever t-shirts from you. I have no idea. I'm just making those up. But you know, that same principle still applies. So in that case, I think it's probably best to go still try to use the tried and true methods and maybe there's a little more of a testing range. But generally speaking, what I'm saying is narrow that testing balance, the stuff that is going to work. And the really obvious reason for that is that it helps the top end of your spend, like I said, right? But here's the hidden reason for that. 
The hidden reason for that is it also eliminates cost for running bad ads. Even though Facebook is very good at not running your worst ads, there is still an element here where if you're spending every dollar you spend on an ad that is, let's say, at a third of your ROAS target because it's a test of something different and broad than before, like every dollar you spend on that is a cost to your business and it brings your whole ROAS down. And I looked at this and was thinking about this recently for a brand and thinking about how let's take a hypothetical brand that spends $3 million in a year on ads, okay? That would not be a crazy spend. I mean, in fact, that would be a really good Facebook spend for a brand sort of 20 million plus. So there are plenty of brands out there big enough for this to be the case. If you spend $3 million on ads and let's say your target return on a click basis is a 1.2, okay? That would also not be crazy. Let's assume that Facebook ROAS is underreporting some value. That's on a seven-day click window. You've also got delayed attribution. You've got lifetime value, whatever. Let's call it a 1.2. Now, you could play this game in a lot of different ways. You could make that number higher. Maybe it's a 1.5, whatever. If that's the case, the way that a 1.2 ROAS actually looks is not by spending $3 million and having every ad return at a 1.2 until you get to $3.6 million, okay? That's not how it works. The actual way your ad account gets to 1.2 or 1.2 ROAS blended at the end of the day is that at the top end of your spend, you've got some ads you know, running a 1.6 plus. At the bottom of your spend, you've got some ads running say a 0.6 or worse or whatever, and then a bunch of stuff in the middle. And because it's Facebook, at the top end of that spend, there will be more spend. Like Facebook is very good at doing this, like I said, right? So it will be disproportionately weighted towards the better performing ads because Facebook will determine which of your ads are best and it will spend more money on those and less money on others. So it's, this is why this cost is not insanely obvious in your business. Because you know maybe one way this would work out is, let's say you spend $900,000 of your 3 million at a 1.6, and then let's say you spend $300,000 at a 0.6 or worse. And then within that, there's you know $1.8 million, the rest of that 3 million. So essentially, you know, 60% of your spend is sort of a range in the middle, okay? And it's a range in the middle of, let's call it 0.8 to 0.4. And so that's the way your spend actually ends up working out. So here's the thing. If you could take the bottom of that, let's say all of your ads from 0.6 to 0.8, and let's say that ends up being eight or $900,000 your business, we'll call it 900,000, okay? And if you could make that go from 0.8 and 0.6 to one and 0.8, so what I'm saying is you increase the performance of that bottom tranche of your spend a little bit. You take your entire ad account from a 1.2 to a 1.26. Now, that doesn't sound like a very big deal. In fact, I mean, if I was looking at that ad account, I would not even really think about that. 1.2 and 1.26 are functionally in my mind when I'm just analyzing the account the same. But the thing is, they're not the same. The difference in that is actually $180,000 in revenue, right? And that's before you talk about margin, okay? It may actually be a bunch more in profit. Let's say you have 60% of gross margin landed and something like that. Well, okay, in that case, then that works out to a little over $100,000 in gross profit difference. Now, over the course of a couple million bucks in revenue, are you even gonna notice that? Probably not. But now let's take another step and think about the equity value of that money. If that is actually money that let's say it's a $20 million plus business, okay? Let's say you can get a 10 to one valuation on that money, which I think would be pretty reasonable for a $20 million in revenue business. Let's call it a couple million dollars in EBITDA. Then if you are going to sell that business, then that means that $100,000 in cost, considering nothing else there, cost you a million bucks. <laughs> and that's just the bottom end of your spend. Do you see what I'm saying? What I'm saying is those low performing testing ads down there 
actually have a tremendous amount of potential cost on your business, depending on the stage of business you are in. And they're so easy to overlook because they're going to be the lowest amount of ads that are spent on. It's going to be over the course of a year. It's going to be a little bit at a time. You know, even if you improve them, the, like I said, the total ROAS goes from 1.2 to 1.26. You barely even feel that. You don't even notice it in the rest of the things you're doing, especially in the midst of a $3 million spend. It just doesn't feel like very much. But holy cow, is that actually a huge amount of cost potentially on your business? And this only gets pronounced more the more your valuation goes up, etc. Because that is actually a cost center on your business. So by narrowing the band of your testing towards your best assets, right, and towards your best style ads, what you are able to do is not only improve your performance on the top of your ad account, but improve your performance by getting rid of the worst part of your ad account, by eliminating losses. I'm going to try and give you a baseball analogy right now. This might be too much in the weeds to thinking about this problem. It happens to be that I'm recording this on Monday, December 5th. And today, I think it's official, the New York Mets just signed a pitcher named Justin Verlander to two years and over $80 million in salary, okay? So that is a gigantic salary. If you don't know baseball salaries, if it's not the highest annual salary for a player ever, it's close. It's a huge, huge amount of money. Justin Verlander is an elite major league pitcher. And so this team has gone and spent a whole crap ton of money at what you would say is the top end of your roster to get a superstar and make their team better. That's what they've done. So they've gone to make their team better by spending all this money. Well, that obviously works. Consider that similar to what I'm saying about sort of the 90th percentile outcome ad, right? The things that are going to make a huge difference in your organization to win, let's say, okay? That's Justin Verlander for the Mets. He's really good at pitching. So there are teams in baseball who simply will never pay that. That is more than the entire payroll of the Oakland A's. That is more probably than the entire payroll on an annual basis of the Tampa Bay Rays. And there are all kinds of reasons for that, and it's not worth getting into. I think it's probably true for the Pittsburgh Pirates as well. And so I don't want to get into those details, of course, but that means that if you are running the A's or if you're running the Rays, then your approach to winning baseball games simply can't be to go get a free agent like Justin Verlander and go sign a superstar to a tremendous amount of money. It's not on the table for you. You can't do it, okay? And so there is a brilliant baseball guy who runs a baseball team, president of baseball operations named Andrew Friedman, who currently runs the Dodgers. He used to run the Rays, who are a very small budget team. And one of the things that Andrew Friedman figured out is that there are 25, now 26, but when he was running the Rays, 25 men on a baseball roster, okay? And a few guys at the top of that roster disproportionately account for wins. They're very, very good players, and they also are very expensive when they reach free agency, okay? But actually, your team is going to need 35 to 40 guys plus to get through the season. Actually, it might be 45 or 50 guys to get through the season, depending on things like injuries or, you know, guys who you expect to be good who aren't good, and so you have to replace them and those kinds of things. And so the actual way a baseball team wins games is very different than a basketball team. A basketball team relies really heavily on a few superstars who have massive amounts of value, and you basically can't win without superstars in basketball. It's like it's just impossible. You can't do it, okay? Basketball is highly predictable, and you know, teams with a few superstars win. And in baseball, it's not necessarily like that. In baseball, you have all of these guys, and they all have to come to the plate, and they all have to throw pitches. And it's true, your superstars hopefully come to the plate more or throw more innings or whatever it is. But there's a bunch of guys all who are going to play. And the key here is that they don't suck. <laughs> so what Andrew Friedman figured out was that if I wanted to buy a superstar, it was going to cost me, let's call it $10 million per win he was worth to my team, okay? Per win he was worth to my team, something like that, okay? But 
If I wanted to go to the bottom end of my roster, guy number 30 to 40 or, you know, 25 to 35 or whatever, those guys who are going to come up to the plate and pitch in the season, but who are never going to have a superstar salary. If I wanted to go and just make that part of the roster less bad, it cost me way less money per win. It was much more cost-effective of an investment to suck less than it was to win a lot more. I hope that makes sense to you. So just by saying like, this guy who runs out there every single day, I just want to make sure he is not just an absolute cost center to my team's wins, if that makes sense, then that's what I'm going to do. And it's much easier and much cheaper for me to avoid that. Now, this basic principle is part of why I advocate so strongly for cost controls in your ad account. I can't tell you how many times I've seen ad accounts that are not running cost controls that run bad ads. And it's exactly like this. It's like running major leaguer out there who just isn't good enough and ends up being a total cost center in the business. So that's a real thing, okay? But there's another element of this, which is this creative strategy that I'm saying. At some point in your business, if you can narrow the band of your testing again, when you know what works and eliminate the bottom tranche of your spend, then what you can end up doing is functionally doing what Andrew Friedman figured out he could do with the Rays to make them competitive, which was just stop spending, stop running the bad ads, stop running the bad players out there. Just don't do it because if you do, they are purely a cost to your business and that's it. Now, Again, it may or may not be the biggest cost. And just like in this case, Andrew Friedman could not have success with the Tampa Bay Rays just by solving that problem. He actually had to get good on the top of the roster as well. And that was a challenge and he was very good at it. And now he runs the Dodgers who both have the most budget. Uh, So the Dodgers have all kinds of money and they also accomplish this on the bottom of the roster and it's sort of unfair. And that is actually what the vision I think is for a lot of brands. It's to both invest heavily in the kind of stuff that you are really confident. I mean, you know, look, crazy stuff happens, you might be wrong, but the stuff that you are really confident is going to win and to make sure that you don't create unnecessary cost centers on your business. So you can see that the title of this episode, if you saw it, is a little bit of clickbait. I'm not actually against creative testing or advocating that you stop creative testing all the way across the board, but you know, hey, I'm a marketer, so what are you gonna do? Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it, as always. The number one way, if you like this show, that you can say thanks is to send it to another e-commerce professional marketer, whoever, founder, whatever, that you think would benefit from it. If there's somebody out there who you think would benefit from this, I would be so glad if you would share this with them, even actually more than the five-star rating and the review and all that stuff though that stuff is great too if you want to do it but yeah share it with somebody i appreciate it so much if you want to reach out to me i would absolutely love to hear from you answer any questions you have those sorts of things twitter at andrew j ferris or email me podcast at ajfgrowth.com there is a chance i have maybe one more coaching slot available if you still want to try and think about working with me in the new year i'm open to it we'll see it's getting tight but reach out by emailing me or just by going to ajfgrowth.com actually is the way to go do that. So thanks so much. We're getting towards holidays here. I hope, especially if you have a seasonal business in the holidays, I hope that you're planning to take some rest and some time off to enjoy yourself, your family. If you've had big wins in November and in December, also please celebrate those. It is a grind. It is a grind. And so please try to celebrate those when you have the opportunity to. It's important to recognize the hard work that's gotten you to where you've gotten. So anyway, Enough of that. Thanks so much. I'll see you next time.